so much I want to share with you today about the church at Sardis. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And as you turn in your copy of God's Word, you'd look up here and you'd say, Brother Danny, you look like you've grown a few inches. That's impossible. I, I, I can never add to my stature, but Great Hills has given me a pulpit that is more accustomed to my vertically challenged stature. So... Um, I thank you very much. This is a beautiful, beautiful pulpit. These are your tithes and offerings at work, and I thank you very much. Doesn't that look amazing, though? I mean, really, just now. It's got the cross there, and it's got a place here. Um, when I come into my modern technological self, I've only done it one time, preached from my iPad, but, uh, but eventually I will be able to take this glass out, and uh, there is something going on the... Uh, the internet that I have, I don't know how these people have manufactured about me breaking a pulpit. I don't know if y'all have ever, if y'all seen it this, this is ridiculous. They, they've got somebody that looks just like me. Um, I know, it is me. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm on YouTube. I am infamous for picking up a pulpit in Arkansas and shattering it, literally breaking it. But I'm telling you something, this bad boy not moving, this thing is heavy, heavy. So, I will not be uh, breaking this one, but man, it's so nice. I thank you so much, church family, for, for this. As I'm, you know, I, I'm so excited about this message, and we're already well into time, and uh, we're running already behind time, but I, I just, I just want to remind you guys of something you already know, that we as a church, we primarily exist for these three reasons. We want to honor God and worship God, okay, with all that we are, with all that we claim to be. Number two, we want to teach God's Word. That's why we make a lot about expositional teaching and preaching in our Bible life classes and in the public worship. It's something that I take of the utmost preeminent importance in my life and in my study and my prayer time and my fasting. It all just moves toward this moment where I'm able to stand before you and not tell you my philosophy, my ideology, my theology even, but I want to share with you what the Word of God says and then all of that just culminates, it comes to the point of the spear as a radiant church that is worshiping God, teaching the Word of God. The natural result of that is what? Somebody help me. What's that? You go out. It's up in worship, in, in discipleship, then you go out in evangelism and missions. And yeah, I don't know if you know, there's a lot of our people going out during the week at Great Hills. We haven't talked a lot about it, but there's at least probably 30 of us going out Doing evangelism, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, knocking on doors, sharing the gospel with people. And I went out with a team on Wednesday night, and I was just reminded of, of why we exist as a church. As I spent with this team about 45 minutes speaking to this young mother right here in Austin that just needs the Lord. And I tell you, if you haven't gotten out beyond your, your four walls of your home or your church and just gone out and just met people where they are, I really encourage you to do that. You will... It will remind you of how blessed you are in Jesus and how desperately people really want. They can't verbalize it. They cannot articulate it, but they are crying out for what you and I have. This community of believers. When you're in a Bible life class and, and, and ladies, you get pregnant, there's a, there's a host of women gathered around you. Katie Hurt having her showers and her wedding coming up and all these believers gathering around her. When someone... Uh, passes away in, in your family, there's a, there's, a, there's a group of church members in the emergency room. There's a group of 
Christians from Great Hills in your hospital room. I, I tell you, that, that is a special, that is a blessed thing. And I promise you, there are people all over the city that are desperately craving for what you and I have. I hope you don't take it for granted. I hope that you enjoy what you have and thank God for what you have. Today is a message on ecclesiology. I've been preaching through Revelation, and uh, we are into chapter 3 now. We finished chapter 2. It only took us about three years, but amen, we, we finished chapter 1 and 2. And now we're going into chapter 3. Now remember, this is a series of messages on the seven churches of Asia Minor that Jesus Christ personally addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. These are literal, historical churches in the first century, and it's amazing when you study those churches then, how many parallels, how many pertinence, how much application from then in the past to us today where we are in the 21st century. And I'll tell you why that is. It's because Jesus Christ has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this book, this 66 books of canonical scripture that he has granted to us, it is everlasting. It is powerful. It is God's very word. And we get to preach from it. We get to live by it. And I get to study it with you today. And I'm so very honored and blessed to be able to do this. So let, let's read the word of God together. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, as Jesus addresses the fifth, of the seven churches in Asia Minor, somewhere around A.D. 95. The Apostle John is about 95, 100 years of age. And, and, and generally speaking, there is a progressive worsening of the seven churches. There, there's a couple exceptions, maybe Smyrna and Philadelphia. But by and large, as Jesus addresses these churches from Ephesus to Laodicea, there is a declination, there is a, a downward spiral turn in the vitality and in the life of these churches. And so when we come to this church, the church at Sardis, the Lord has some very strong things to say to them. And let's read it together. I'll read beginning in verse 1. And to the angel, the angelos of the ecclesia in Sardis, write, These things, says he, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but church at Sardis, I'm here to pronounce to you that you are dead. You're a dead church. I can't imagine if Jesus gave me your messenger, your, your pastor, if Jesus were to tell me those words, and I'm supposed to tell those to you, the Great Hills Baptist Church in Austin, Texas, for 60 plus years, I have a message from you from Jesus Christ. He told me to tell you, we are dead. Can you imagine well, how that would feel? What, what, what must have been going through their minds when this message was given to them? Be watchful, Jesus says in verse 2, and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. Most of you are dead and the rest of you are ready to die, for I have not found your works complete. I have not found your works perfect before God. But Jesus, he's so amazing. He always gives us hope. He always gives us instruction. He gives us diagnosis and prognosis. And then he says, remember. Remember, therefore, how you have, rece have, how you have received and heard, and then hold fast and repent. Turn. Change your ways. Therefore, if you will not watch, now, what I'm about to read to you next is very fascinating. 
And in a moment, we will study Croesus, we will study um, Antiochus the Great, we will study the historical city of Sardis, and understanding its historical background, you will appreciate even more what Jesus has to say to this church when he says, in light of their history, he says, I'm going to come to you like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis. Notice he did not say a bountiful, plentiful, but you only have a few of you in Sardis who have not defiled your garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. This is a sobering word, a somber, solemn word from Jesus, the author of the church. I was just reading in my quiet time this morning in Matthew 16, Jesus says, And upon you, Petra, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is the originator of the church. He's the founder. He's the author and the finisher. He is the perfecter of us, his church. And so he has the divine right, the authority to say to us what he very well wants to say to us. And to the church at Sardis, he has some very sobering words. He tells them that they are failing, they are faltering. They are a dead church. And, and as I look at that, and I look at where we are today in America, we, we also have a lot of dead churches. Ecclesiastical corpses are dotting the landscape all over Europe. By the way, there are very, very few vibrant, growing evangelical churches in Europe. Now, there are many mosques. There are very many vibrant, growing mosques in Europe, but but not, not Christian churches. And what is happening in Europe usually flows on over to California and then catches up to the rest of us. And if you haven't noticed yet, about 85 to 90% of churches in America today are plateaued. That's a nice way of saying they're dying. And so you and I here seeing people get baptized every week and seeing people go out in evangelism every week, seeing people go out, Brother Mike, on mission every, almost at least every month, I tell you, before you leave, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus. I am not in a dead church, because you could be, but you're not. Aren't you, aren't you just a little bit glad? I, I'm glad. I'm, I'm grateful to God that we're not. Tom Rainer from Lifeway has written so much material on church health and church life. And he says it's true, and I'm sorry to tell you that most of our churches in the Southern Baptist Convention have seen their best days gone by. And he said the number one characteristic of dying churches is, are y'all ready for this? The number one characteristic of a dead church is they no longer look outward, but they what? It's all about me. It's all about us. It's all about my preference. It's all about what I want. That is the leading indicator and the prognosis that death is on the horizon. He goes on to say, ministries are for me. Budgets are for me. Worship style is for me. Conflict takes place when members don't get things that they want. They don't get things their way, and therefore they begin to die. 
So what I want to do with you today is I want to walk through the church at Sardis. Now, we have six verses, and we only have a few more minutes because next time I want to... Really, this is about a 90-minute sermon, if you will. So I'm going to look at half of it with you today, and then next week we will look at the remainder of it. But begin with me, if you will, number one, with the word of identification. Jesus will identify himself, and then he will identify the city... And he will identify the problem in the church. So if you're taking notes, one or A would be Jesus, two or B would be city, and three would be, or C would be, the problem. So Jesus identifies himself. Now, Revelation 3, 1 through 6 contains two of the most troubling texts in all the Bible. The one I'll address next week is the one that says, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. And we as good Baptists believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. So what does that mean? And we'll talk about that next week. I think you're going to be, I think you're going to say, wow. Instead of me looking at that as some difficult thing, that is actually some grand, amazing promise that Jesus makes. But the other one has to do with the way Jesus identifies himself in verse 1 when he says, I am the one who holds the seven stars in my hand and I come in the seven spirits of God. I had, to, I had a guy tell me one time, I mean, this guy was off his theological rocker. I'm not kidding you. He had this wild look in his eye, and he came up to me, and he started rebuking me. I don't know. I just must have something about me. People just like to come up and rebuke me. when I, when I it's, just, it's, just, it's just gift I have. You know, it's amazing. I, I got this sweet gift about me. The people want to come up and say, you, and you know, he said, you're crazy. You don't even know what your Bible says. You teach the Trinity, but Revelation says there are seven spirits of God. You need to go read your Bible. I said, okay, thank you. Thank you. By the way, you can't talk to people like that. You can't reason with people like that. So what did Jesus mean when he said the seven spirits of God? Well, we know what he doesn't mean. We know that he does not mean seven literal Holy Spirits of God. If he meant that, then there would be plenty of evidence throughout the Bible that would validate the seven spirits. By the way, one of the basic things they teach in seminary in hermeneutics is this. Hermeneutics is a fancy word for interpretation. Whenever you find a difficult verse, always look at it within its context and always look at it from the other context of all the Bible. Does the Bible ever say that the Holy Spirit is seven? No. So what is Jesus saying? Now remember... Jesus and John, they, they believe we know our Old Testaments, okay? And so when you come to a text like this, they have in their mind that you know what Zechariah 4, 6 teaches and you know what Isaiah chapter 11 teaches. In fact, Zechariah 4, when talking about the Spirit of God, talks about it within the context of seven golden lampstands, all right? And it says, not by might nor by power, but by my, anybody? Spirit, not seven, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But there's an interesting text in Isaiah chapter 11. And by the way, I believe what Jesus is saying here is I'm coming in the fullness, the completeness of the spirit. The number seven is the number of completeness. Jesus, who is full of the spirit, is addressing a church that has quenched and grieved the spirit. So look at it within its context. Isaiah chapter 11, look at this, verses 1 and 2 talk about the Spirit of God in the following ways. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. So I, I think what he's saying here is in the Holy Spirit's fullness, I come to you, church, and I give you this word of, well, really this word of rebuke. 
So he's talking about the sevenfold fullness completion of the Holy Spirit, not seven literal spirits. Jesus' identification is a rebuke within itself to the church at Sardis. So let's talk about the city. This is a fascinating city when you, when you study uh, Sardis in antiquity. It has a very illustrious city. It is located about 33 miles just south of the previous city, Thyatira. It is 1,500 feet above the mountainous plain. In the valley below, you have the Hermas Plain, and it rises up to Mount Tolmus. And in between Mount Tolmus and the Hermon Plain sits this city called Sardis. It is an impregnable, formidable city. It has four sides, north, south, east, and west. North, east, and west, they are all surrounded with these perpendicular jutted rocks that once you rise to the Acropolis, to the top, you are secure. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating study, but the only access to Sardis would be the southern plain. And even the southern plain, to get to the top of Sardis, has these perpendicular, precipitous drop-offs and rocks. So in, in, in anyhow, if you're in Sardis, you are very, very protected unless you're arrogant. Okay? In 549 B.C., the Lydian king by the name of Croesus, the capital of the Lydian kingdom was Sardis. He was in protest against the king of Cyrus, the king Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians. And he says, I don't care if I pick a fight. All I got to do is run to Sardis. And once I get to Sardis, those Medes and Persians can try to come up those rocks and they'll never make it. So we are secure. And that's exactly what happened. And let me read for you a historical account of what happened on 549 B.C. in this very city. And don't you know that Jesus knows all of this history? Croesus felt utterly secure in his impregnable situation atop the Acropolis, and he foresaw an easy victory over the Persians who were cornered among the perpendicular rocks in the lower city and easy prey for the assembling Lydian army to crush. After retiring one evening while the drama was unfolding, he awakened to discover that the Persians had gained control of the Acropolis by scaling one soldier at a time up the precipitous mountain, one at a time, until they came into the camp. So secure did the Sardians feel that they left this means of access completely unguarded and allowed climbers to ascend unobserved. It was said that even a child could have defended the city from this kind of attack, but not so much as one observer had been appointed to watch the side that they believed was inaccessible. All they had to do was post just a few sentinels, just a few guards, but in their arrogance and in their pride, they thought, well, we are impenetrable, we are impregnable, nothing can happen to us. And history should teach us lessons, but in AD 195 BC, Antiochus the Great came against the Sardian kingdom, and he did the same thing. They climbed up the unguarded sides of the hill, and therefore they were able to take the city of Sardis even though it was so positioned and postured in a way that it could never be taken. And Jesus said, 
Next week we'll appreciate this even more. He said, and I will come like a thief in the night. Isn't that powerful? They know. That's exactly what happened in 549. That's exactly what happened in 195. That like thieves in the night because they were unaware, they were not prepared, and their kingdom fell just like their church will fall because, and then we'll look at it in a moment, because of the compromise and the problems. So let's go to number three, and that is the identification of the problem itself. We've identified Christ. He holds the seven spirits of God. He holds the seven pastors, the angels of those churches. We've identified this very illustrious, historical, really inimitable city of Sardis. And yet in their pride and in their arrogance, they they had fallen many times before, and they were on the precipice of completely falling again spiritually. And now let's see why. Why is that the case? Well, Jesus diagnoses it with three primary problems. Number one, he says they're dead. Number two, they're complacent. And number three, they are corrupt. Now, let me stop here for just a minute and say, I know this is a lot of history, and and, and I know that there's a lot of negativity, but I just want you to hang on on for just a few minutes. Because at the end of the sermon, it's, it's going to get a little bit lighter, okay? I know it's a little heavy on theology right now. It's a little heavy on history right now. But just hang in there with me, and if your friend is asleep, just let him sleep and say, in a few minutes, wake him up, all right? Okay, but, but serious, it, it's going to get interesting toward the end, but let me, uh, let me continue. By the way, this is my favorite part of preaching. I don't, I don't know about you, but man, I can get stories and illustrations from anybody, but I love history. I love theology. I love doctrine. I love philosophy. I love the... I love some meat and taters. Help me, somebody from Alabama. I love meat and potatoes in a message. I like to know the history of Sardis. And I'm just assuming you do too. But anyhow, we're going to look not just at the mausoleum and the museums and the moribund and the death. Somebody help me. What is the antithesis? What is the opposite of death? Life. That's right. So as you juxtapose your church up against the church at Sardis... Be careful that we avoid their characteristics, okay? And do the opposite of what Jesus condemned, and that is do that which leads to life. So number one, Jesus said, basically, he said, you're dead. You had an appearance of being alive, but you're dead. Singing, preaching, people gathered does not a church make. It takes the spirit of the living God. It takes almighty God being in a church, resonating with the people, encouraging, motivating, where the Spirit of God is palpable, where He's he's present. Listen, guys, we can get all dressed up. We can come to church. We can sing, and we can preach, and we can do all of these things, and we can walk out of here absolutely unchanged. And that is not my goal. Man, I'm telling you I'm glad this thing's heavier. I'd pick it right up over my head. My goal is when you come to the church of God that you're encouraged, that you're rebuked, that you're motivated, and you go out of here saying, oh, living God, I want to be a part of your kingdom. I want to be a part of a church that's vibrant, that's growing. Man, things are happening in my church, oh God. Man, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. I want us to be alive so that Jesus would never say, he would never be on his lips, oh, Great Hills Baptist Church, you are dead. Heaven forbid. I'd rather die. I'd rather God kill me, take me on to heaven, get me out of the way, and get you a hot-hearted preacher in here before that happens. 
Jesus said, you are dead. Listen, whether it's a church, a marriage, a business, a team, you can have the perfunctory outward expressions. Man, unless there is life, unless there is the Spirit of God, unless there is unity, unless there is togetherness, you either die or on the precipice of death. One writer, and I really like Robert Thomas, I think he's written the best commentary ever written on the subject of the book of Revelation. He says, quote, like the city, the church was existing in the past. Can I say that again? Like the city, the church was existing with all of its success in the past. Its fame and the ministry of its members for Christ in the past were the basis for its present reputation. They had made peace with the surrounding society, and they had fit in comfortably with their culture. The offense of the cross in that community had ceased to exist. And so they died. Because there was this accommodation, there was this, number two, this complacency. Jesus says, I have not found your works perfect or complete they have gone through the motions, but they, they didn't have this vitality, this joy about them. They had this lack of vitality, this lack of vigilance. And the lack of vigilance that led to the city's demise in the 6th century and in the 2nd century B.C. is now leading to the demise of the church in the 1st century. Maybe they thought, well, you know, look, we're doing all right. I mean, we, come on, guys. Do we really have to go tell somebody else about Jesus? I mean, after all, look at us. We're doing okay. I mean, we got money and reserves. Man, we got us a nice place. Man, we got things going on. We got a good choir. We got our little pastor up there preaching. So just don't worry about all those untouchables. Let's just have church. And I'm telling you, when that happens, Jesus says goodbye. And there are many churches that the Spirit of God has left because everybody is turned inward, and where Jesus on his cross says, I tell you, turn outward and lift up your eyes and see that the hills, I mean, the, the, the hills and the fields and the waters are full of souls. And let's go get them. Let's not have a spirit of complacency. Passivity, complacency led, I believe, to the death of this church. One more thing, and that is corruption. Um, Jesus, some of you are going, Brother Dan, when do you get to the positive part? When do you get to the stories? <laughs> hold on, hold on, come. Only a few in the church had not defiled or spoiled their garments. Mm. That's a general way of stating 95% of your church is just like the world. They look like the world, they act like the world. They're stained, they're soiled, their garments are soiled. Only a few of you are still trying to live for me and serve me. Have you ever noticed, guys, when, when you start compromising with the world, your spiritual vitality goes to zero. The, the most unhappy, and I've seen this even just this week, in my church, among some of you, when they have one foot over here in the partying, in the world, and the pleasures of the world, 
And then they step over here on Sunday in the church and the praise and the worship. I mean, they're straddling the fence. They are the single, solitary, most miserable person in the world because they're trying to serve two gods, two kingdoms. And I'm telling you guys, if you're straddling the fence today, either go on over there or come on over here. You can't do both. Okay? Because if you do, then you begin to taint this place and you begin to quench the Spirit of God, and God begins to punish us corporately because of your compromise individually. That's a strong word. Can I say that again? God will punish us corporately because of your compromise and your sensuality and your fornication and your adultery. And when you do that individually, and I know you are doing it because you tell me you do it, and then you come to this church, God have mercy on Great Hills Baptist Church if you continue that lifestyle in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, would you cease and desist? Is there any difference between what you do on Sunday and what you do the rest of the week? I hope so. I hope you're not like this guy I read about. Um, somebody sent me this story, and it, it, it's, it's really funny, but it's not. Here's a guy, he's come up to a red light. And he stopped, and the car in front of him is stopped, and that's cool, but it turns green, and the car in front will not go. The lady, she's kind of looking at papers, you know, who knows, she's probably texting, and the guy behind him, he's, he's, he's a Christian, okay? And he's starting to get mad. So he starts, I mean, he starts raising his voice. He starts throwing his hands up in the air. He starts shouting at that lady, I get out of the way, you idiot. It's green, not red. Go. And all of a sudden, the police officer taps on his car window. And he goes, what's wrong? He said, sir, get out of your car and get in the back of mine. And the guy goes, you can't do that. You, you're not going to hear the last of this, buddy. Why, you can't arrest me. Put me in your... And two hours later... They detained him for two hours. And the police officer said, you know, I, I didn't arrest you for being a jerk. You were a jerk. I arrested you because I noticed that on your vehicle, I saw that you had a cross hanging from the rearview mirror. I saw your Choose Life license tag. I saw your Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker, and I saw the fish symbol on your tailgate, and I thought to myself, surely this guy has stolen this car. <laughs> so, so he arrested him. Guys, I tell you, people watch us. Ooh, do they not watch us? I ain't planning on saying this, but something similar like that happened to me. Many years ago. Okay, praise God for sanctification and growing in Christ-likeness. This was about 1996 or 7. And this lady pulls up behind me, and I just catch a, a glimpse, and I must have just been in a foul mood. I think I was just mad at the world. You know, I was just upset. I, and I saw this lady in the back seat, and she was doing all these gyrations, and I thought, what is your problem? You know, I'm, I'm just minding my own business. And if, if I remember, if my memory serves me correctly, she was a member of the church that I was an interim pastor at, and she was just putting her makeup on. And I was getting, oh, what, what, what you doing? And I looked at her like, oh, heavens. And I got, almost got under the steering wheel, you know. 
hey, listen, guys, people watch us, and they should watch us, and we should live a fundamental, cult calculated, fundamental, different quality of life. Now, does that mean we're all perfect? That means we never sin? Absolutely not. But it does mean, come on, can y'all help me right now? It does mean we spend a whole lot more time over here than we do over here. Fair? Fair enough? Okay. Man, I got to go. I got to go. got to go. Number two is commendation. Number one is identification. We looked at Jesus. We looked at the city. And we looked at the church. And then we looked at the church had problems. And Jesus said, you're dead. You know, you're complacent. You're compromising. You're corrupt. But Jesus does give a couple words of commendation. Not a lot, but a couple. He says, the things that remain, strengthen them. Remain is a lot different than overflowing, abounding, and growing. He says, you do have a few who have not stained their garments. You do have a few who remain faithful to me. Strengthen them and encourage them. In my notes here, I've got the statement that I wrote. The Christian church that does not rub salt in the decay of society, the Christian church that does not shine the light of the gospel in a sinful world will not receive the criticism from those in the world. And neither will it receive the praise and the commendation from Jesus Christ. So, the commendation is, those of you that are being faithful, keep on being faithful. Aren't you glad to know that you're not the only one trying to keep your nose clean? Does it ever bless you just to know that you're not the only one trying to honor your marriage? You're not the only one trying to keep yourself sexually pure. You're not the only one resisting inebriation and drunkenness. No, you are amongst a band of brothers and sisters, a body of Christ. Listen, from centuries past and to this present day, no, we're not perfect, but we're, we're on this upward climb, and God is sanctifying us, and God is growing us, and God is making us more and more like himself. I'll tell you what, we got so many of you in our church like that, and I'm not going to start naming names because I, I know I would forget 90% of you. So I'll just use an example from another church. How's that? I, nothing gives me more joy to, to pastor hot-hearted people of God who are trying and trying to live for the Lord, trying to do that which is right. And, and one of those guys was Matt. Matt, I thought Matt was a pharmacist because I, I came home from church one day and my mailbox was open and this dude had come by. I think this is illegal, by the way. He put a note in my mailbox. And the mailbox was open, and it was on a pharmacy. Dr. John, it's one of those things y'all write on. You know, those little prescription-looking things. And I thought, this guy's a pharmacist. And it said, you are getting to me. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. You know what I'm saying? He said, you are getting to me, Dr. Matt. Come to find out, Matt was a prominent physician in the Hampton Roads area. He was an emergency room doctor, and him and Cindy, I mean, just, I mean, doing great. Two beautiful daughters, and their marriage is about to fall apart because of his drunkenness. He said, you're getting to me. And he kept coming, and I watched. Before my eyes, I watched God radically change his life. Saved his life physically from alcohol and saved his marriage. And Cindy and he are today, they're married. They're two beautiful girls. One was an All-American in, in, in basketball. Matt was playing golf at the James River Country Club. And 
Man, I tell you, once he really got, Daniel, once he really got Jesus, it was on. It was on. Or once Jesus really got a hold of him. There were a group of guys. Now, guys, y'all help me now. Y'all put yourself in this place here. He, he's in the James River Country Club, and I played in a golf tournament with him there one time. And I'm telling you what, it is not a bastion of conservative, conservatism, all right? I mean, there's all kinds of guy stuff going on. And there's a group of men standing in a circle. And they are talking about this one guy's business. And that guy said, yeah, I built Liberty Baptist Church. I built that church, the brick and the mortar. And we were at that time, we had already relocated to 40-something acres. We'd already built one building, and we're about to build another building, and then eventually we would build the, the sanctuary. I left, and they built the sanctuary. And Matt overheard them, and he said, did I hear you say Liberty Baptist Church? And they said, yeah. He said, I just want y'all to know something. <laughs> he said, I want to tell you something, sir. Of all the buildings... You will ever build in your life, there will not be one better than that one. And he looked at him and said, Matt, what are you, what are you talking about, Dr. Matt? And they all kind of chuckled, kind of guys things. That's what he said. In front of everybody, he said, that's my church. Jesus Christ changed my life there. Jesus Christ saved my marriage there. And I just want you to know, you'll never build a better building than you built in that place. I thought, good. He told me that story. So you're getting to me. What he's trying to say is Jesus is getting to me. And I've, le- I've left this, and he, he's, he doesn't touch it anymore. He just says, I can't do it in moderation, so I just better not do it at all. Y'all all right? You okay, Baptist? Come on now. How many, 50, 70% of you drink? Not just water and orange juice, come on. If you can't do it in moderation, then don't, please don't do it. I'm, like, I'm kind of like Stonewall Jackson, at least in my life right now. He said, I don't drink whiskey because I know I'd like it. <laughs> I'm messing with some of y'all right now. You're like, I mean, really, you're just so stinking nervous right now. Listen, I, I, I've, changed, I've changed some on that. I'm, I'm just not as, as, as against it as I used to be because the Bible talks about it, and it always talks about it in moderation. I'm just very careful about it because I'd, I'd hate to see me do anything to hurt my witness for you. So I don't do anything that you'd see me. And I promise you, God's always designed me this way. I could go, I could go to Hawaii, and I could go to a remote beach, and I could go out, and, and I go to a bar, and one of y'all would come up to me and say, Hey, Pastor. <laughs> I was like, where did you come from, you know? What are you... Guys, I still believe it's possible. I still believe that you can have a heart for Jesus. And you can be in the world but not of the world. You can live a life of grace. And, you, and we can be a church that is a light in this city and to the nations. That is my... I don't know that I've... Guys, I've pastored a lot of churches, but I don't know if I've ever wanted it so bad as I do here. Because we're just not there. We're just not there yet. And I want us to get there so bad. I want us just to be this radiant body of Christ that is passionate for Jesus. And it's not the exception, guys, that we go out. It's what we do. It's just 
It's just what we do. I'm sorry. I, I got to get back to my notes. I'm almost done, but I'm, I'm a little messed up right now. Amen. time is it? Oh, mercy. Well, I've got pages five and six. If you're interested, you can look at it on the, on the internet. Okay, let, let me just say one more thing. All right, then, then I'm, I'm done. Okay, so, man, so I've got makeup snot everywhere. Good night. Corey, would you la- edit that last statement I made that on the that on there so you know Ashley and I are about to go to the Southern Baptist Convention here preacher and Barbara are already there and we're going to be representing our church and and I'm, I'm honored so honored I tell you guys people come up to me and they ask me where I serve I, I tell them with great pride that I pastor just one of the great churches we're not perfect what was that guy's name just Oh, Lord, it's hard to be perfect when you're humble in every... We don't have that problem. You know what I'm saying? We, I don't have that problem. So my good friend, and this is my last story, and my last statement, and then I want us to have our invitation. Michael and Julie, precious, precious souls. She's, they have three small children, and they have one on the way. And they were pastoring a church not far from here, and they just beat the snot out of them. I mean, the church just about killed them. And, and Michael just said, man, I give up. You know what his problem was? They said, you're too concerned about those lost people. And he was one of my students, and he was one that I mentored. And I just took that person. I'm, I'm still hurt by that. And they just they ran him out. And so him and his wife, he's got a master's degree, he's, he goes to Memphis, Tennessee, and he works in the daytime as a, 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 in the nighttime as a waiter, and she works during the daytime as a waitress. Three children, one on the way. And he's, man, he's just so hurt. He's so broken by his church. And he said, well, Brother Danny, and by the way, Michael Lewis and Andy Spencer and I just spent some time with him and about 12 other pastors just like him loving on them for about three or four days and just building them back up, trying to help them. I, I tell you, church, we got a lot going on. I don't talk about it a lot, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot of good stuff happening. Well, Michael and Andy spent three or four days. I just went in for, for a night. He said, Brother Daddy, I went to Memphis, and Julie and I all hurt. We went to a big Baptist church. And we got out, and man, we're just tore up. We, we just don't know if we're even going to make it in ministry. And we walked up to this big Baptist church. And the moment we stepped out of the car, those people started loving on us. And they said, man, welcome to Bellevue Baptist Church. We're thrilled that you are here. We don't recognize you. Are you new? And they said, yeah, well, we're new. And then one of the guys says, well, here's my cell phone number. He said, excuse me? He said, if you need anything, this is my personal cell phone number. You call me. You talk to me. And he said, where are you going to your Bible life class? And he said, well, I don't know where you're coming with me. Honey, you go with the ladies, and this young man's coming with me. And they just started loving on him. This Sunday school class, I think they took up an offering for him to help give him some money. And then the pastor, a buddy of mine, Steve Gaines, just a, just a month ago, took him, out to, took him out to dinner. Just loved on him and said, man... 
I'm for you. God's not through with you, Michael. Come on, God's got big plans for you. Let, let me make this statement. Some churches are large for a reason. Did y'all follow that? And some churches are dead for a reason. Man, when people come to Great Hills, I want people just, man, I wish that girl would come. That lady we met Wednesday night, maybe one glorious day, she, she would have the courage to come. And man, when she did, people from our church would just reach out and say, this is the way church is supposed to be. And we're going to love you. We're going to nurture you. Honey, do you have any needs? Can we, can we minister to you? And that Jesus would never say, Great Hills, you are a dead church. Never, never, never. So, Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray for I pray for our people, Lord God. Thank you for them. Thank you for so many in this church that love you, that are sold out. God, they are... They don't want to do anything, Lord, that would hurt you or harm your name and your fame and your glory. And I thank you for them, and I pray for them. And I pray for some others, Lord God, that they're just straddling the fence. They're not there yet. I just pray that you'd lovingly and yet, and yet strongly just bring them to complete surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And Father, I pray if there's somebody here today that does not know you genuinely, does not have a relationship. They have a cloak of religiosity. They have a shell. But they have no real relationship. God, I pray that you would save them. I pray, God, that today they would say, you know, I do the things I do. It's simply because it's, it's who I am. I can't change. And God, may they say today, I can't change. But Jesus you can change me. Lord, I pray today that salvation would happen in this place. I pray, God, today for somebody that needs to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Lord, I pray you'd give them strength like Annalisa right there. Lord, get him baptized. Hallelujah. She, and there would be other Annalisas in the church today that say, man, that's what I need to do. I need to give it up. I need to give up. And give my life to Christ and genuinely be born again by the Spirit of God. Is that you, sir? Is that you, ma'am? Why don't you give your life to the Lord right now? Why don't you say, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need you bad. I need you real bad. Come in my life and save my soul. If you prayed that prayer, then I ask you, would you please... Would you please let me know, let somebody, let one of these pastors, let somebody know that today was the day you gave your life to Christ, okay? We want to baptize you, we want to help you, we want to nurture you. Others of you today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you're, you, you may be a Dr. Matt, you may say, Great Hills, you're getting to me. You're getting to me in a good way. And I realize that to be a member of this church, I'm, I'm going to have to be serious with Jesus. I want you to come. I know our church is not for everybody, but our church is for a lot of bodies. And I want you to come. Would you be serious with the Lord and grow in your relationship? I know you're not perfect. Mercy, heavens, no, you're not perfect. But we're going to be upward. We're going to be onward. We're not going to be declining or plateau, but we're going to be soaring in our relationship with Jesus. Ma'am, finally, church family, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? 
that I would do nothing to compromise my relationship with Jesus or my relationship with my family or my relationship with you. Would you do that? I think the greatest thing you can do for me is you can pray for me that my heart, my heart would stay hot for Jesus. And when it starts to grow cold, you would pray for me. So, Father, I pray now as we stand in a moment in this invitation, Jesus, would you just rain down? Lord, would you move upon people's lives? And, and God, would you save souls and help marriages? And would you add to your church today, oh God? For we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And all great hills, God's people said what? Amen and hallelujah. Why don't you stand up with me and we're going to sing. You pastors, come on and you help us. And you counselors, would you all go ahead and make your way down here? And just in case somebody... Somebody's want to come and they want to pray and they want to give their lives to the Lord. Why don't you come even now? Brother Terry, you lead us. We're praying. You come on.